coming up on today's episode of Turning Season Podcast. Even with starting the non-GMO project, it would be easy to look at that and think that this is a holding action where we're trying to stop GMOs or that we're trying to create a life-affirming system here by designing a, a different way to create food. But for me, the real potency in the non-GMO project is the power that food choices have to shift consciousness and how when someone feels like the choices that they're making at the grocery store and the food that they're putting in their mouth makes a difference, that helps shift consciousness toward the realization of how incredibly powerful every single one of us is. That's Megan Westgate, well-known thought leader and respected speaker on the issue of non-GMO foods and founder of the Non-GMO Project, the organization behind the little butterfly you see on a lot of packaged food that lets you know it is Non-GMO Project verified to not contain any genetically modified organisms among the food ingredients. Today you'll hear from Megan Westgate about why she cares about protecting the food supply from GMOs and about what's most exciting to her now in relation to food and to the great turning as a whole, which is coming into a sense of the power we each have as individuals to influence what's happening, to influence the reality that we're living in. So if you're interested in food issues, if you are interested in what Dina Metzger has described as the long and exacting practice of aligning your life with your values, and in this possibility that we can together create a more beautiful way of being human together, then it might seem reasonable to imagine is coming right now. Then I think you will really enjoy this conversation. Thank you for clicking play on this episode of Turning Season Podcast, your regular dose of active hope for you who could use more news of the great turning toward a life-sustaining society happening at the same time that business as usual and the great unraveling play out. Here you'll find focused news stories of holding actions to protect life, the creation of life-affirming systems and shifts in consciousness, as well as expansive conversations with individuals rising to their own unique roles all offered up to enliven you as you too collaborate in the change you wish to see in the world. I'm your host, Leilani Navar. I'm an acupuncturist, dream worker, facilitator of the work that reconnects, and believer in the power of conversation. This podcast is one way the great turning happens through me. Welcome and thank you for being here. My guest today is my friend and admired collaborator in The Great Turning, Megan Westgate. She's the executive director of the Non-GMO Project. Megan helped launch the Non-GMO Project in 2006 after already having been involved in food advocacy for years. She became executive director in 2007 and has been hard at work to protect the future of non-GMO food ever since. As a national thought leader on the non-GMO issue, Megan is a highly respected speaker and she's been featured in numerous national publications and forums. 
In addition to the non-GMO project, her passions in life include her young children, Robin Wilder and Riverly, and the organic permaculture homestead she and her husband Noah are cultivating in the beautiful Lake Whatcom watershed. Megan has served on the board of the Community Food Co-op, and she's the co-author of The Non-GMO Cookbook and Yoga for Pregnancy. Welcome, Megan. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Leilani. It's great to be with you. Let's start by looking into these questions from the work that reconnects the open sentences. I'll invite you to finish this sentence however you'd like. Some things I love about being alive on earth are... Mm, the opportunity to continually refine consciousness in pursuit of experiencing fully all the beauty that's here. Mm, beautiful. And how about this one? When I look around at what's happening in the world, what breaks my heart is all of the disconnect and the ways that we are living out a story of separation and mm -hmm. an illusion. Yeah, I hear you. So I want to ask you how you're relating right now to the three stories of our time. I think that I have my sense of how you're participating in the great turning, but I wonder how it's all taking shape in your mind and heart right now, the, the three stories being the ways that we can look at what's happening in humanity right now and what kind of path we're on. And one story is business as usual, which I think is losing <laughs> participants and losing credibility, but is still a major story going on, of course. And then the great unraveling where we're watching everything fall apart and the third story being the great turning, which is the view that we're in this adventure story right now, shifting into a life-sustaining society. How do you relate to those three stories? Yeah, well, actually, I think a lot about the great turning. And when at the Nanjimo Project, we set out to create a new strategic plan for ourselves a few years ago. Um, really in response to the unraveling, we, we did anchor um, part of that process in Joanna Macy's work and thought a lot about the three dimensions of the great turning. And I continue to explore and reflect on that. And it's interesting because what, what is becoming increasingly clear to me is for me personally, what I'm most energized by is shift in consciousness. Like that is, that's been a lifelong passion for me is the, the work of healing and coming into right relationship and how much of that is grounded in shift in consciousness. And I've just recently been thinking about with, even with starting the non-GMO project, like it would be easy to look at that and think that this is a holding action where we're trying to stop GMOs. And that's true in a way, or like that we're trying to create a life affirming system here by designing a, a different way to create food. And that has some truth also, but for me, like the real potency in the momentum behind the non-GMO project is the power that food choices have to shift consciousness and how 
when someone feels like the choices that they're making at the grocery store and the food that they're putting in their mouth makes a difference, that helps shift consciousness toward the realization of how incredibly powerful every single one of us is. And that is what is the most energizing and meaningful to me about, about the work that I've done with the non-GMO project. And then just personally in my life, my interest in shift in consciousness goes way beyond all of that too, and brings me a tremendous amount of inspiration and energy. That is such a cool way to think about how your work is touching in on all three of the three dimensions of the great turning. And to hear you describe how every individual is making a difference with their food choices, somehow that just brought into focus for me what a personal and intimate thing it is, food and eating. Yes, yes, totally. Like We talk about food systems, you know, and big policies, but truly every single human body is engaged in this process of eating. And you can't just look at it as one blanket thing that we change all at once because we're each participating. So, so yeah, what else would you want people to be aware of? What else would you invite people to think about if they are wanting to participate with their choices in this shift in consciousness? Well, I mean, another thing, another thing about how I think food choices shift consciousness is that for a lot of people, food is the most direct connection that they have with the earth. And it can be pretty indirect depending on the nature of what people are eating. But like ultimately all food, all life, all of us comes from the soil. And that I believe that there is a seed of the potential for consciousness shift in the act of eating, partly because of how it brings us into relationship with nature in some way, um, more so than most other things that a lot of people experience in their daily lives. And so I think the opportunity to, to bring that into more explicit consciousness of realizing that every bite of food that you put into your mouth is, has come from the body of the earth and can be felt as a sacrament and a connection to remembering that we also are part of the body of the earth. Um, like eating can just be such a sacred, beautiful, magical thing. And I think even without consciousness, there is a potential within it to shift. But I think the more that each individual person chooses to recognize, like being in right relationship with the earth, through the act of eating, there is just such incredible healing power in that. Oh, I love that. I, it's so cool to hear. I actually was going to ask you about the three dimensions and then you answered that question. And then I was going to share with you that I recently had a personal shift in consciousness experience during a retreat. And one of the things that came through for me was how every bite of food is a sacrament. And I was going to mention hey. that. And then you just said it. <laughs> so we're, we're in the same river here right now. And I just, I just love that, that, that insight touched me very deeply when I experienced that. And the first few meals I ate after that were so different than any meals I had eaten before. And now I'm in that kind of integration process of trying to keep bringing that insight back as I get swept up in daily life. But 
each bite is a moment where we are communing with life on earth. And no matter how far removed we are from the food that we're eating is from how it came out of the ground or how it came through an animal body, uh, no matter how far, how much it's been processed, it still only could have come from the body of the earth and passes through us. And there's a, like you said, an opportunity there to feel that interconnection. And there's also a lot of room to be totally mindless about it and thinking about other things and ripping off plastic, stuffing some food in our mouths and moving on with the day, hardly noticing it. And I think that that process of experiencing our food as that kind of intimate relationship with being alive, I don't know, for me, it feels transformative. Yeah, I think it is because in truth, I mean, there's, I'm having like 300 thoughts at once right now of different directions, <laughs> but um, I mentioned the strategic planning work that we have done at the Nanjimo project. And we had never done long-term planning before because there was just so much momentum at first that we were scrambling just to keep up with things for years, but really in the face of the climate crisis becoming more evident we felt compelled to dig deep and really ask ourselves, how can we best be of service to the world? We're a, a mission-driven nonprofit and all of the people involved on the staff and the board are really passionate, dedicated people. We all want to be doing our, our part to bring balance to the world and, and be in right relationship. And of course, GMOs are... Um, well, maybe not, of course, to everyone. In my, in my perspective, GMOs are a, a total violation of life and nature and, and genetic engineering is highly problematic, but it's also just one piece. And so in our strategic planning work, what, what we started looking at is what else could we be doing? Um, what more is there? And we've been looking a lot at all of the momentum growing around different regenerative standards and certifications and work that focus on soil health and looking at how to be of service there. And that's exciting to explore. And, and in that process, it's um, kind of made me more open, I think, to looking at the role and shift in consciousness. And I believe that it's, of course, very important how our food is produced and how we take care of the world, but, and also I think for me, what the shift in consciousness speaks to is that we, we're living in this story of separation where we operate under the illusion that um, like Newtonian physics is the be all end all explanation of everything. Like that the things that we can see and touch and smell and hear and feel are like that, that this is the extent of reality. And not that material reality isn't important, but the, the healing that's needed, that is one of the essential parts of the great turning is a shift in consciousness where I believe a lot of what that is about is us tapping into the power of the quantum and the unified field and understanding that the changes that are needed are going to come from beyond anything that you could make an action plan for for changing things in the material world. 
And I mean, I think this is exactly what Joanna Macy's point is, is like, yes, holding actions, yes, life affirming systems, yes, shift in consciousness, they're all necessary, but none of them are sufficient. Um, and so I've just been trying to look at like our exploration of how could we be of service of the regenerative movement and soil health certification practices and all of that, but how important it is with however we engage that we not fall prey to the illusion that it's sufficient to just look at changing things in the physical world because it's not the change is going to come from beyond that. So coming all the way back to the thing of people mindlessly eating something out of a package, I think any spark of whatever it is that you're eating, seeking the opportunity to experience that as a sacrament, even like no matter. And I know this sounds kind of like a, a surprising thing for me to be saying, given what my professional life's work has been for the last 15 plus years, but regardless of how whatever you're eating was made or what it is or where it came from, the opportunity to connect to the essence of that, of how that thing is part of nature and how you are part of nature, that shift, that is essential to the great turning. And yes, it's also important how we're actually producing food and how we're taking care of soil and the earth. Um, but those things can kind of be happening they're not totally dependent on each other. They can kind of be happening in parallel. And I trust that like somehow through the efforts that people make in all of the three dimensions, that that's where, um, that's where the shift will come from. I'm so glad you said, well, I'm so glad you said all of what you just said. I resonate with all of that. I'm particularly glad you said that about even if the food was produced or grown in a way that maybe isn't ideal to still receive it and experience it as life. Because I think that we, we lose actually a lot of potential and a lot of momentum. And some people, when we talk about things in a very pure, impure kind of way, like either yeah. this food is clean, you know, that word gets used a lot or non-GMO or organic or regenerative, or it's not, or it's fast food or it's conventional food. And there isn't actually a clean line there. Any, I feel like anytime we start talking about food as either good or bad, we're missing the point. And, you know, that comes up, I think a lot in talking about being vegan or eating totally plant-based where it either is or isn't, but there's just so much gray area and really it's all, it's all been alive and it's all feeding our lives. And that that edge of pure versus impure feels dangerous to me the same way that we get it with people judging people as right or wrong. And this way of life is okay or not okay. And so, yeah, I just, I hope that there's people listening right now who've had that moment. I've heard many people express this moment of, oh, well, I'm not really participating in the great turning, or I'm not really an environmentalist because I eat this thing or because I do it in this way. And I just can't figure out how to get away from plastic. And just like you said, Megan, yes, that matters, but it also kind of doesn't matter at all. <laughs> like we're all in it together. What matters is like the, the power that each person has to, to be in right relationship with whatever, whatever choices we're making. And some of us have way fewer choices than others. Um, so 
like I am so far from perfect. So I'll give an example of like, I, I definitely have a bunch of packages delivered here. Like I don't like, I'm a very sensitive person and we live rurally and I don't like going into big stores. So I have, you know, is that ideal that I'm getting stuff delivered from Amazon? Like, no, it's definitely not. And it's very tempting to just block it out and not really feel what that's connected to. My husband really, Noah, is like a really amazing reflection and invitation of like, he's very empathic and he feels like, where were these things? Where did they come from? How are they made? Like being willing to be conscious about that is so powerful. And it's difficult because a lot of the choices that many of us have are, um, like our, we're living in this unraveling and like things are really out of balance. And like a lot of us are driving cars and burning gasoline, getting packages delivered, eating food that may not have been produced in ideal ways. And I think what a huge part of what's so dangerous about all of that is how it makes us want to shut down because it's hard to be with the discomfort of what all of those things represent and what they really mean. And I think for us to be willing to be open, even a small amount, even any amount to feeling our relationship and our sense of self as part of a, a bigger whole. And then also the opportunity to bring intentionality of like that we each like sensitive to what's there and also accountable for how we each create we each have an electromagnetic field around us. We're each contributing to and creating reality. So I think getting really like um, bogged down in negativity, it just doesn't serve anything, right? So it's a combination of like being clear-eyed, clear-seeing in relationship to how we connect to the bigger whole. And then also recognizing that we have a tremendous amount of power Um in terms of the energy with, of how we respond and just the energy that we hold in our beings. And I don't know, Leilani, if you're, do you know about the um, becoming supernatural work that Joe Dispenza does? Are you familiar with that at all? Yes. Yeah. What do you think about that? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like really geeking out on it right now. I think it's powerful. I think it's powerful and I'm curious how powerful it is. You know, there's so many amazing stories yeah, I just finished the book last week. I've been like pretty into it for like a year, but it was one of those, it will only let you in at a certain pace of like, I'm not just like reading to mentally absorb the information. I just feel so inspired by this idea that, um, and this also relates to food back in an interesting way, but like so much of our experience of reality is really physiologically dictated. And I'm really energized by this possibility of like, like having grown up dancing and then studying yoga and going to massage school, I've had a longstanding passion of like, why do we not all learn anatomy in elementary school? Like this is the most basic stuff, but it never occurred to me until like a year ago. And then there's the brain and we treat this like this black box where like, we don't have any control over the regulation or production of hormones, the ways that our pituitary gland and our pineal gland are functioning. And 
this might seem like a funny analogy, but what I think about, and this helps motivate me is so when I did my yoga teacher training in my early twenties, I really wanted to be able to spread my toes apart. <laughs> like you can try spreading your toes, but if you haven't like worked on it, they'll probably like not spread flat. And I just uh-huh. rounding into your mat. It just feels really good to be able to spread your toes apart. And I would just stare at my feet during the philosophy parts of the training. I would just like watch my feet and will my toes to spread. And after like five days or something, all of a sudden they spread apart. And I just think there's like, our bodies are amazing of when you bring focused intention and also a belief of capability, there's incredible things that are possible. And I just think we have a really low bar for how much capacity we think we have to regulate ourselves and to create our experience of being alive. And it's probably the most inspiring thing that I experience is like how much possibility there is to actually shift one's electromagnetic field, like just change the whole energy of what we're feeling. And it's a slippery slope because it is hard being human and triggers are real. And it's you know, I feel cautious of like, I don't want to just repress negative or hard things, but I also think that we can get kind of like overly fascinated with our hard experiences and that there is a place and a time to just shift of like, oh, I could just like see what that is and let it drift away and shift the signature of my frequency right now so that I'm having like a better experience of being alive and contributing a different energy to the world. So I think that that is possible in relationship to food choices too, is like, that kind of goes back to the idea of whatever you're putting in your body, like, yes, there is significance to that. And yes, it's good to be conscious and to be in relationship and to be aware of the material world realities of that. And also I believe that food is a sacrament and we can theoretically with practice and cultivation have the ability to make anything we put in our body be deeply nourishing. Yes. I'm so excited that you brought this up because now we're really talking about shifts in consciousness in interwoven with these material changes. And so I haven't actually read Becoming Supernatural, but I have read or listened on audiobook to Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. So that's mainly my exposure to Joe Dispenza's work. But he, in that book, he actually mentions people like Gandhi and how, it, you know, it's, it, um, he doesn't get completely hyper-focused on the individual. And maybe this is part of what you were speaking to with the slippery slope. There's a way that we can, you know, uh, spread this toxic positivity where you're supposed to ignore or run away from or end up boxing up or stuffing down the negative experiences and emotions. And I'm definitely not about that, <laughs> you know, doing Chinese medicine and work that reconnects. It's all about like, let it all move or else we're missing really important feedback. We're missing really important circulation. And yeah. we can set our attention and our intention on what we want to create. And I was so excited. I remember where I was standing at this moment in the audiobook when he said people like Gandhi envisioned a future that was not that did not line up with reality. They had no reason to believe that that was going to become real, but they did it anyway. 
and they moved forward into that envisioned future, which you did with your spreading toes and which, you know, all his examples of people who healed and stepped into healthy bodies have done. And I think that really lights me up. The thought that we could collectively start envisioning an unreasonably (laughs) wonderfully life-sustaining way of being human and step into that together. Yeah. Gives me, gives me some excitement. Yes, totally. And the, like the core concepts of becoming supernatural is it's a practice where you combine clear intention with elevated emotion. And, and it's part of what I love about it is how practical it is. There's specific tools, but then he grounds it all in like how our brains work and what the hormones are behind different experiences that we have. Like, I think a lot of we just don't get taught these things in schools or for most of us in our families of origin either. So like, it's, it's easy to feel at the effect of all these things out in the world when actually we have so much agency. And I think that is such a core part of the shift in consciousness is just the power that the individual has to reclaim agency and, and to create a more beautiful world. And I think that in order for that shift in consciousness to happen, we have to like really believe it. That's like the, the supernatural practice of clear intention and elevated emotion. You have to like really be willing to believe. And like you're saying, it's kind of like requires some suspension of disbelief, but I think the more that we can be inspired by each other and ground into like, no, it's not crazy to think that, you know, for example, with GMOs, sometimes I feel absolutely crazy. I've kind of gotten over it over the years, but I'm like, really, I have to explain to someone why it is a horrendous idea to go in and manipulate the code of life when we don't know how to assess the impacts of that. And when we're not in right relationship with nature so that those undertakings are being informed by anything other than human ego. Like we have to like talk through how wrong that is. And that's (laughs) really been the position, you know, I think it's a complicated topic to understand like what exactly genetic engineering is. And over the years, you know, the way that it's been framed by a lot in the mainstream is um, that like, if you're scientific and smart and really understand it, you would see that it's not that big a deal. But yet the reality is that there has been such a widespread public rejection of GMOs and such a desire for non-GMO. And I, it took me really until a few years ago to just feel really able to be grounded in you know what? Intuition is a valid source of knowing. And all the people who don't want to eat a GMO, even though they maybe can't explain to you technically what's happening in a laboratory, that doesn't mean that those people are ignorant and have no idea what they're doing. They are actually listening to their gut or their heart or something else as a part of nature. And they just know intuitively that it's wrong and not something they want to put in their body or their kid's body. And that is valid. And I spent a lot of years kind of being on the defense and letting the biotech industry and, you know, all of the many interests that go along with that frame, the discussion and the narrative around it. And I do feel like there's a shift in collective consciousness now 
where it's becoming like more safe and acceptable to say things like intuition is a valid source of knowing and wow we've come really far out of balance with living through this like colonial mindset this like corporate cosmology where we're dominating everything like people are starting more people I think are starting to notice that there's problems with this Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah I actually was gonna invite you to talk more about that conversation I feel like you just gave a, a good sense of what it's been like for you to you know be interacting with this conversation about the science that's framed in a certain way already you know and trying to to step into it but is there more you would want to say and I feel like listeners would love to hear from you how how do you see what GMOs are and what they're doing and what we can and can't know about what they're doing a lot of people listening to this right now really care about ecology really care about alleviating human suffering and may have been drawn to the the idea that GMO foods can help us feed more people, make food more nutritious. Sometimes they'll, they use less water or some, somehow they get um, described as being able to be good for the soil, you know, and not to ask you to pick those apart scientifically, but just to offer another perspective for people who are wondering, like, how do I relate to this? Especially the arguments about GMO that say it could be really good for people. Yeah, well, I would say there's a lot I could say. Um, I think that for me, I'm just increasingly oriented to right relationship. And I see GMOs as being kind of the ultimate expression of a colonizer mindset of like, nature is a resource to extract things from we can impose our will all the way down at the genetic level and we we will dominate nature will dominate the genetic code of seeds will dominate the earth and there's very clear evidence that the motivation for doing that is making money and then a story gets put on top of that to appeal to people and you know support successful marketing that this technology is going to somehow help the world. And I believe that there are people who truly believe that also, but just in terms of the commercial application of the technology, it has 100% been driven by profit. And it is entirely from a mindset of dominating the earth in service of profit. I just think it's like one of the most glaring examples of what is wrong (laughs) of why we need the great turning. Like it's one of the most glaring examples of where we've really gone off course with hubris and this, yeah, ego-driven domination of the earth. And again, like thinking about orienting from material reality and then also the truth of the quantum realm, like there is just critically important information available to us if we listen on more levels and are in right relationship with the possibilities for how do we best feed the world and what does that look like being in balance given that we're all 
part of nature, the climate is changing. Like, I think that the hope that GMOs will somehow be a solution is a very like band-aid kind of approach. And the problem is the consciousness underlying those solutions is off. It's coming from a disconnected place and we are never going to get the solutions we need from the same consciousness that created the problems. That is not how the change is going to happen. And so I don't know, like, I'm not here to say what is the right way or what is the wrong way. How, how might the different ways that we could affect nature and change things at the genetic level, like fit into this. I'm not going to say that I know that, but I know for certain that every single human being has the capacity to be in right relationship and connected to source and that we all have the ability to know in our bones and in every cell of our being when we are in right relationship, when we are fully connected and when the information coming through to us is, is from a place of connection. And, you know, that information is different for different people and what we have to contribute that will come from that is different. So I, I, yeah. And I can't say what that will or won't be. I know for me that um, when I'm in right relationship, well, let me think about it at the level of food like that, the, the part of how nature expresses itself that shows up in our food is like everything else about nature. It's a freaking miracle. There is nothing missing from that. And the things that we can learn from watching nature about how does water move across the land and what kind of soil health and diversity will welcome the rain into it so that we don't need to engineer a crop to be more drought tolerant, but actually like we get in right relationship with the land and the soil and the body of the earth so that the water that comes can be absorbed and the genetics that are available naturally through what the earth does. I just feel clear from what I see when I'm in connection that there is nothing wrong. The idea of like that there's something that we have to fix here is just we need to listen more. Yeah, well said. And and just that that right there, the difference between choosing to listen more when something feels like it's not working the way that we want it to, or choosing to look for how we can break things down to their smallest level and intervene to fix them. Like the the consciousness of those two approaches is so different. And it's so hard. It's a big learning edge for me in my life right now. Like how to slow down and listen, especially, you know, in my role being an executive director of a rapidly growing organization, we've grown our team by like 25% or maybe more over the last year. And so the accountability of material realm considerations, like we're all on Zoom a lot, running calendars, thinking about payroll, like all of these logistics, they're very they're very real, right? These considerations affect life and they require moving at a a certain pace. And I also am like holding that intention with feeling so clear that it requires slowing down and listening and making space in order to create something new. And 
I'm really intrigued by like the, the um, endeavor to overcome either or thinking because it's super easy, like in that example, for me to fall into a trap of like, well, either we can like keep things together and on track. And that's like the business as usual kind of temptation, right? Or we can really slow down and listen, but like we might not be able to like have the money to pay rent or whatever, you know, the material realm considerations. And so I have a lot of compassion for us, you know, even for all of us who are trying to be more conscious and see that this shift is needed, how challenging it is to make space and really like how much privilege it takes to be able to feel safe enough and spacious enough to inquire more deeply of like, how could I listen more and act less? Because a lot of people are operating from a place of survival and survival depends in some ways on business as usual. So it's, it's certainly like, it's a complex paradox for sure. And I feel like, so I'm very, like, I have an incredible amount of privilege. I feel like in terms of the space that I have, like I get to live on this beautiful, peaceful land and I have access to a lot of tools and knowledge and, and it's still so uncomfortable and challenging to really slow down sufficiently. But again, like we are not going to create solutions. You know, we can't, we can't shift things from the same consciousness that created the problem. So I just increasingly feel like that work of making space to slow down and listen is the most important work, at least in the dimension of shift in consciousness, like it's required to shift consciousness. Mm -hmm. I think it is required and often such a privilege. Everything you're saying is so true. And there's some things, even just back to that example about eating in a rush or eating as sacrament where slowness is just simply required (laughs) for it to be experienced in, in that way. Yeah. And if you have, like, I have two young children and I'm kind of just getting at the stage where they're, um, my son just turned eight and my daughter is turning five in the end of May. And I think part of my personal process right now is coming back to like having, I have space to be aware of myself and have my own thoughts for the first time in quite a few years. Yeah. And even that, like, I mean, I, I have a lot of privilege and no matter even, yeah, someone can have quite a lot of privilege. And when you're in like the grind of being a mom and you have to orient to the business as usual kind of mode of things of like the children have to be fed, like the stuff has to get done. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Or somebody in your family is ill or just these things happen that sweep us up and business as usual is how things are set up for us to get from place to place, for us to get food, for us to communicate with each other. And so it's, it's a constant dance of how to, to live within it and question it and shift the way we're living where we can. Having like, I mean, partly I have much more time to meditate now than I used to, but it used to be like, I'm just going to, before I get out of bed, I'm like going to spend five minutes just like orienting back to like, who am I? 
where is the quiet within? Where is that place of connection within? Because I I believe that right relationship starts with being in right relationship with ourself and just those opportunities in even if it's just a moment, five minutes or two minutes, but it's certainly easier the more time you have. But again, just coming back to personal agency, like that every single one of us does have a quiet voice of wisdom inside that's so nourishing to connect to. And I think a lot of, a lot of what gets in the way of that, like, yes, there's all the material realm obstacles, but a lot of what gets in the way of that is just that we forget that that's true, or we have a hard time believing that it's true. And so maybe even thinking like, what if, what if that's true? Like, maybe you don't have to fully believe it, but like, what if there is some quietness inside waiting for me that I could connect to? just that can be so nourishing. Mm, Nice. I like that question. (laughs) What if it's there? And it doesn't actually take a very long time, even, you know, five minutes and even less sometimes, you know, I've walked people through pressing the acupressure point, kidney one on the bottom of the foot for five slow breaths. And that doesn't take very long, but it can totally shift your state. Yeah, totally. Like there's a lot of dimensions to look at things, but yeah, when we bring in tools to impact our physical body, that can be like a really fast way into resolving a lot and making a lot of space. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you one more kind of practical material level question before Mm -hmm. we wrap up, which I guess it's more about the non-GMO project as a holding action, because there is some issue. I mean, there's a reason that this organization that you guys are doing this work to, to label things is yes, this is GMO free, right? Because once certain crops are GMO, it can easily affect the rest of the food supply. So the holding action is partly, you know, keeping, keeping that contained. That's how I'm looking at it. Like if we want a way of growing food that comes more from listening and that comes in right relationship, we also don't want it to be you know, too late to have that before, before we get there. So. Yeah, that was definitely a huge motivation for me in the, in the beginning when I started working on the project is just that, you know, most, almost all of the corn and soy and canola and cotton grown in the country. Um, It's different globally, but (laughs) in, in the United States was GMO and the percentage was going up rapidly year over year. And it just felt really clear. Like, yeah, we need a holding action. We're not going to have the genetics left for non-GMO varieties of corn and soy if we don't interrupt this. And so I think that the non-GMO project has been very effective in, in interrupting that what was really happening unchecked because there wasn't a pathway for people to take a clear action. Um, And like most people didn't know about GMOs when the project started and the action that was available really was like, if you're concerned about this, write a letter to your Senator or sign a petition. And it really wasn't that empowering. So I think there is this cool combination of how it definitely creating a standard that requires testing and traceability and segregation where there's ongoing 
testing of the major high risk inputs that could be derived from GMO and there's um, on site inspections and annual reviews of all of that, like all of those structures do serve as a holding action. But I think again, what I didn't fully anticipate or wasn't fully conscious of when the project was starting is how that holding action translates into this opportunity for individuals to take action in a way that shifts consciousness. And that people, I think when they see the little orange butterfly on things, it gives them a good feeling about their food. And so back to like, you know, and, and, you know, we verify products that have a lot of processed ingredients and, you know, might not be the healthiest, best food choice at any given moment, but but I think that that butterfly gives people the experience of like, I feel good about this choice that I'm making right now. And I believe that there is a lot of validity in that, again, from the perspective of shifting consciousness of a busy mom feeling like, yes, this is a better choice. I feel good about that. And even if there isn't a full understanding of what did or didn't happen in the laboratory, backing that up, that sense of like, I am part of something bigger. I'm helping make a positive difference and I can feel better about this thing that I'm putting in my body. Um, the way that that supports shift in consciousness, I think is really potent beyond just how it reinforces the holding action of our certification work. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I never thought about it that way. And that's really important. The, the empowerment of that and so, yeah, I love what you guys are doing and I love hearing how much your thinking on it is, has just expanded and expanded and expanded and to know that your whole team has talked about Joanna Macy's work and how your work can be part of all three dimensions is just filling my heart with joy and hope. And <laughs> I, hey, I was so happy when, when I, when you shared that you were doing this podcast, I mean, it's just, yeah, Joanna Macy is deeply inspiring to me. And I love what you're doing with this podcast and, and just inviting all of us into thinking about how we're part of the great turning in different ways, um, I think is just really beautiful and inspiring. So thank you. Yes. It's so good to know how many of us, or even glimpse, how many of us are out there doing something in our own way towards this. So is there anything, any last things you'd like to share with listeners or let us know where to find you online or learn more? Well, yeah, nongmoproject.org is a wealth of information. We also do stuff on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. I don't go on social media a whole lot, but, but we have a team who does, and I know that there's great content on there and just looking for the butterfly when you shop and know that that's supporting our ability to preserve a non-GMO food supply. Um, but beyond all of that, I, I feel like, you know, I personally feel connected to and called to something that's bigger than the work of any one organization, even the one that I've <laughs> spent all my blood, sweat and tears for 15 years on. It's just this realization of the power that every single one of us has to create the world that we live in together. And even if it's, in one breath inquiring, like, what do I know that I'm not letting myself know? Or what is the wisdom that's inside me? I just, I believe that that shift in consciousness to remembering how incredibly powerful every single one of us is and how we are all 
part of nature that we're all connected to source that we all have something beautiful to experience and contribute that is in in my perception the essence of the great turning Mm. here here thank you megan thank you so much leilani it was really wonderful to spend some time with you likewise always a joy And thank you so very much for listening. I'm thrilled that you're here. I would love to hear from you. Come to turningseason.com to connect. You can enter your email address at the bottom of the homepage and I'll send you a note twice a month when I release new episodes. You can also come to the show notes for this episode at turningseason.com slash episode 15 to find all the links to learn more from the non-GMO project. The site truly is a wealth of information covering all kinds of things that we did not get into in this conversation, but are well worth knowing. So again, you can find your way there along with links to all of the non-GMO projects, social media channels at turningseason.com episode 15. You'll hear from me again on the new moon. Until then, thank you again for listening and for all the ways you play your part.